0: Are you with me? Then let's dive in. Hello and welcome to the Visibly Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Pett, and I love spending this time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending it with me today. I don't take that lightly. I am so excited about today's show. We're going to talk about things that maybe you never really wanted to talk about or think about, but we're going to talk about poop. Yep, that's right, poop. Uh, and you will hear from an incredible doctor who is uh, passionate passionate about people's poop and their gut health. And I actually met him at the International Plant-Based Nutrition Healthcare Conference. We were both on the panel together, and I just fell in love with him as a human being. And I fell in love with his accent. So you're going to love his accent. He's, he's a lot of fun. He's got uh, some great humor. And I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. But you're also going to learn so much. Uh, Dr. Alan Desmond is so knowledgeable about gut health. You're going to just be um, not just inspired, but um, educated. And and I think that that's my my big goal for you here at Visibly Fit is that you would get educated and understand, um, you know, my passion about a whole food plant-based lifestyle and, and fitness and a holistic approach to health and wellness, but to hear from others and their passion and why. And so Dr. Alan Desmond, he's actually one of the UK and Ireland's most prominent health gut experts. And he is an enthusiastic advocate for the benefits of gut-healthy diet and lifestyle. He's a sought-after podcast guest, and he has been featured on many, several well-known podcasts, so many that I can't even name them all here. But he's also shared his expertise and enthusiasm for plant-based diets on BBC News Spotlight and other um, shows as well. Dr. Allen is a consultant gastro I always have a hard time with this word, I'm sure others do too, gastroenterologist, here we go, who has made evidence-based dietary advice as essential part of his medical practice. He has presented at numerous international medical conferences on the benefits of this approach to food alongside other renowned advocates, including Dr. Michael Greger, Dr. Clapper, Uh, Dr. Um, Kim Williams, Neil Barnard, um, so many that he has been alongside, but he's an ambassador for Plant-Based Health Professionals UK. It's a nonprofit group that educates members of the public health professionals and policymakers on the incredible health benefits of a plant-based diet. So you're going to get really educated here. He is so passionate. I'm so happy about this. But certified in both gastroenterology and general internal medicine, Dr. Allen completed his medical training in Ireland and Oxford. He has a specialist interest in the role of diet in the prevention and treatment of Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. A fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, London, he has published several influential research papers in the field of inflammatory bowel disease and is a de- dedicated advocate for the gut health benefits and overall health benefits of a whole food, plant-based lifestyle approach to nutrition. He lives in South Devon with his wife and three children. Allen has written for the Daily Telegraph and the Irish Times. He has contributed to numerous best-selling publications, and he has his book out called "Plant-Based: uh, The Plant-Based Diet Revolution, 28 Days to a Healthier Gut and Happier You, and it is available uh, wherever books are sold, but you can find Dr. Alan Desmond at alandesmond.com, but I'm so excited to have him on the show, so here we go. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Dr. Alan Desmond, to the Visibly Fit podcast. It is so awesome to see you again.
1: Hey, Wendy. Nice to see you. We last saw each other in person, of course, at the Plantrition Conference. Uh what was that not? Too, was that six weeks ago? Less. Um, but what a wonderful conference, Scott and the team. I'm so in awe of everything they do. But it was lovely. We sat on a panel together. It was lovely.
0: Yes, we did, and it was an honored to meet you and be on that panel with you and just see all these doctors coming to to learn about whole food, plant based lifestyle and how that can make a difference mm-hmm. in their patients' lives. And you know firsthand about what that looks like. And I want to dive in immediately to talk about. What even got you on this trajectory of of teaching whole food plant-based as a medical professional and someone that isn't taught nutrition in school so much, or were you? And how long was that nutrition segment that you may have been taught? Oh, well, we, we were
1: lucky, I guess. So I went to medical school from 1995 to 2001. So I qualified as a doctor uh, 22 years ago. And it's true. You know, we were taught very little. You look little. 22.
0: Wait, you look oh, 22.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I guess that must be all the plants, right? I mean, you've got the same <laughs> right. problem, right? No one believes your <laughs> age, right? <laughs> right? But I guess it's... Um, yeah, we uh, in medical school, we had some good teaching on how to read scientific papers, how to interpret scientific papers, how to write scientific papers, how to read epidemiological papers, how to read research and randomized control trials. And we also had a really good uh education on the very basics of nutrition, you know what what fats and carbohydrates and proteins do, what their actions are in the body, the importance of iron and potassium and sodium and all of these things, all of the building blocks. But of course, then we got very little teaching actually on the basics of the impact that food has on human health. But as a young doctor within three or four years of uh, qualifying, So I'm working at the hospital. Um, I'm rotating between different specialties like renal medicine, respiratory medicine, care of the elderly medicine. And I find myself working in GI, in gastroenterology for the first time. And this is like the typical kind of um, period in your career, Wendy, as a tradie doctor, where you're you're doing like 80, 90 hours a week, maybe more. You're doing 36-hour shifts. You're basically dead on your feet all the time. (laughs) You're not sleeping. You're not taking care of yourself. It's like every stereotypical medical drama that you've seen that's shown these interns working. uh, That's where, where I was in my life at that time. But anyway, I walk into the gastroenterology ward. And, you know, as a young guy, maybe in my early 20s practicing medicine, i would gotten very used to seeing people in hospital that I viewed as older. OK, so and that kind of made sense because we're taught that as we get older, we accumulate chronic diseases like heart disease, stroke, various cancers. But when we I don't want to collect,
0: the... we don't want to collect diseases. I know, but that's no. what
1: we're that's that's what we're taught to that's expect right. in high income right. countries. Right. It's like the, mm-hmm. the inevitability, the uh, this is a video podcast. So I'm doing the thing with my fingers, okay? the inevitability, the air, quotes. <laughs> of, uh, air quotes, right, of, of chronic disease. But so I walked into the GI unit. I saw there was a certain group of patients who were, you know, in their 20s, in their teens. And these were patients who were hospitalized with a group of conditions called inflammatory bowel disease. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And these were young people who looked outwardly quite healthy and they should have been, you know, at home or in university or in their first job or, you know, starting their family at home with young children. But instead they were hospitalized and it was our job as the young doctors to put them on the treatments that we have for these conditions called inflammatory bowel disease, which cause inflammation in the lining of your gut, causing abdominal symptoms and diarrhea and inability to absorb calories and anemia. And it was our job to put the cannulas in, put the IVs in and give them the medications, give them the steroid medications to push down their immune system so that they could get better. And it occurred to me when I was working in that unit, even very early in my career, that when I would explain a diagnosis to a new patient, you know, it would often be someone my own age and say, oh, you've got Crohn's disease or you've got ulcerative colitis. And I would explain to them about the endoscopies and the MRI scans and the stool tests and the cannula and the steroids and the medication and the fact that we viewed these as lifelong conditions and that they would be attending our surgery or our clinics for years to come, and that there's a good chance they would need even stronger immune suppressants. And that maybe one in five patients with ulcerative colitis end up needing a colectomy, that about 40% of people with Crohn's disease end up having part of their diseased bowel removed by surgery. And I would explain all of this to these young people. And they would say, ultimately, almost every patient would say, what about food, doc? because Even patients after you would,
0: told them all of that they're thinking yes, about food because they're right? thinking where's the hope
1: <laughs> where's the yeah. hope right wendy yeah. and also yeah. in 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 gi medicine there's a very short line between food and symptoms So Mm -hmm. patients make the connection very, very quickly. And they're right. There's a huge connection between the food we eat and how our digestive tract behaves. So there was that. And that sparked my interest because I wanted to have evidence-based answers for my patients when they asked me that question. And working in GI, what I also noticed was that, you know, when we have patients with severe digestive health problems, their quality of life is damaged so badly because, you know, we, we love food, right? And having good digestion is so integral to being healthy that when we have people with poor digestion, their health, their life, their quality of life is very poor generally. In fact, only 25% of patients with, for example, Crohn's disease would describe that they have a good quality of life. For example, people with um, severe abdominal symptoms, the so called irritable bowel syndrome patients, would on average would give a decade of life expectancy if they could just normalize their gut function. Having poor digestive health has a dreadful impact on our quality of life and our well being and our mental health. What I noticed, Wendy, that is if we could find our patients a route to better gut health, whether that was through diet or medication, we could absolutely revolutionize their quality of life. And it was weird. Witnessing- the
0: hospital food?
1: And well, that's the next mission. (laughs) We're still on that mission, right? Right, But I noticed as a young doctor that if we could, that in this specialty of gastroenterology, there was huge capacity to improve people's quality of life. And once I realized that, I was absolutely hooked. And in those years, we have become more and more interested in digestive health as a culture. It's become so interesting. You know, there's this old saying from like two and a half thousand years ago from Hippocrates of Kos, the so-called um, father of modern medicine in ancient Greece, two and a half thousand years ago. He taught his followers that all health begins in the gut. That's right. And like, and like so much ancient wisdom, there's so much truth in in that ancient wisdom. I mean, we know that we love food. We, you know, we wake up in the morning thinking, oh, what's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? We love our food. We talk about food. Our newspapers, the weekend magazines, our Instagram feeds are filled with recipes and food and ideas. We even have national dishes, right? Different countries identify with certain foods. Food is such an important human enjoyment. But not only that- It is, a social enjoyment as well. It's a social enjoyment, but beyond that, all health really does begin in the gut because to eat, to digest your food, to turn the food on your plate into the building blocks of your human body and metabolism, to eat and digest your food, to break it down into the amino acids and the carbohydrates and the fats, and the heme iron and the, the there's the non-heme iron the the copper, the everything that we get from our food to be able to ingest and digest that food effectively and comfortably is a very basic human function, and in a way it's the essence of being a healthy human. Every single day yeah. when we get out of bed, about 90 grams or three ounces of our human body is new. New red blood cells, new gut lining cells, new enzymes, new you every single day. And the building blocks for that new you to keep you healthy and well and repair and regenerate. These building blocks come from our food, right? Yeah. Knowing that, knowing how important food is for humans, knowing how to ingest and digest our food effectively and comfortably should be regarded as a basic human function. I'd like all of your listeners a little exercise to do at home. I can't see you guys, but you can see and hear me. I want you to put one hand up in the air and keep it up. If you or your loved ones have been affected by gastroesophageal reflux disease or Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or diverticular disease or colon cancer, or pancreatic cancer or stomach cancer or the unexpected digestive symptoms that have been labeled as irritable bowel syndrome that can leave you housebound and unemployed. So I, I would bet that right now everybody hearing these words has got their hand up in the air because poor digestive health has almost become the norm in high income countries. Why are our digestive systems going so wrong? Is it inevitable? Could it be the food? Could it be the fuel that we're putting into our digestive system? When my patients asked me, what about food? Were they onto something? Absolutely, they're onto something. Because it turns out that the standard Western diet, standard American diet, standard British diet, what we're now referring to as the global standard diet, A diet that depends on meat, fat, oil, sugar, and processed junk food for almost all of its calories. Salt for almost everything. A plant-deficient, fiber-deficient diet without the diversity of plants and fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds that our digestive tract uh, thrives on. The standard Western global standard diet has become the perfect recipe for dreadful digestive health and terrible digestive disease, terrible digestive health and all of these diseases that we talk about.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you're bringing up and talking about all of this. I mean, this is what you talk about all the time, but you know, our gut microbiome is almost like a, an individual fingerprint, right? We all have mm. unique colonies and, and we're all very unique, but we can all become very regulated and on track and, and uh, in a good way very quickly and easily if we had the right tools and we do, but a lot of people aren't uh, moving towards a whole food plant-based lifestyle or uh, a holistic approach in general, as mm. far as, you know, getting rid of stress and getting rid of and making sure they're sleeping well. And, you know, all Mm. the things that go with that and getting the the environmental toxins. uh, But, you know, but I want to ask you.
1: Yeah. But I was just going to say getting there, you know, I mean, just to complete the thought process on that, Okay, the foods that are good for our gut, the, the list of foods that promote excellent digestive health is pretty short. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, beans and leafy greens and maybe some fermented foods. So these are the foods, the pillars of a healthy whole food plant-based diet, and the pillars of the diets enjoyed by the healthiest people in the world. And it works. And as a doctor, when you look at the evidence showing that, for example, in the UK That's what vegan. I you to
0: do.
1: Yeah, so yeah. so for example, in the UK, vegans are 70% less likely to develop diverticular disease, a condition which causes pouches in the lining of your large bowel which can cause abdominal symptoms, diarrhea, cramps, bleeding, perforation, abscess. I've taken care of patients who've died from diverticular disease. Here in the UK, where I practice, diverticular disease hospitalizes 30,000 people per year. Vegans in the UK are 70% likely to get diverticular disease compared to meat eaters. We also know, and the data keeps coming out, paper published last year, plant-based diets may cut the risk of stomach cancer, pancreatic cancer, and liver cancer by up to 50%. May cut the risk of bowel cancer by 80%. I spoke earlier about inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and colitis. There is a genetic component to these diseases, but the evidence is very clear. The, it's, the old, it's the old trope, isn't it? You know, Our genetics may load the gun, but it's our diet and lifestyle that pull the trigger. And there was data right. published last year showing that perhaps 70 to 80% of cases of inflammatory bowel disease Can be prevented by a modestly healthy diet and lifestyle. Can you imagine that 70 to 80% of cases could be prevented? by a healthy diet and lifestyle. And guess what? Yeah, we
0: are are in more control than we realize. And and that's what I want my listener to hear as well. You Mm. have more control over your health than you're giving yourself credit, I I believe. But also I wanted you to share, if you don't mind, maybe just um, um, a case or two of where you saw um, from someone eating plant-based, to whole food plant-based and, and with that flop and that switch, how quickly their, their body repaired and healed itself.
1: Sure, so I'll give you one story. And you know, I must say when I present at conferences and you've seen this, because you've seen me present at conferences, I don't usually tell patient case stories because right. evidence-based medicine isn't about patient case stories. You don't look at what happens to one patient and then go, okay, I'm gonna do that for, for all of my patients. I'm not going to... That's not how you do it. How you do it is you go and look at the wealth of information that is out there. And then you arrive at evidence-based recommendations. And then you begin to implement those evidence-based recommendations at your practice. And guess what? They work because they're evidence-based. And then you begin to see your patients having the success that is brought by these evidence-based changes. And this is why I love what you're doing so much, because... These things may sound simple. Healthy habits sound simple, okay? Eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, nuts and seeds, get enough sleep, manage your stress, exercise regularly, spend time in nature, spend time with other people. These are very basic human functions that promote good gut health, good gut overall health. This is a prescription that dramatically reduces your risk of all those digestive health problems, but also reduces your risk of heart disease, obesity, and type 2 diabetes. Whole body health neurological health versus right. dementia okay but although that those few sentences i just said sound simple but god knows it's not easy for people because in our 21st century diet and lifestyles these things are not easy these are not the norm so in order to help patients and individuals to make these changes We need to educate and motivate and support. And that's why I love what you're doing with your whole mission and the, you know, the visible fitness vibe, the whole thing you're doing, uh, because you are helping to motivate, educate and support people. Let me give you a story. I'll give you one very um, inspiring story from clinic. So I'm at clinic and at at my, you know, I have a uh, private clinic and I also work within a public hospital. So I'm at my public hospital clinic and it's a we do like these emergency clinic slots. So I'm asked to see a young woman um, as an emergency in my clinic, you know, so she's very unwell. The nurses who have been seeing her at clinic said, can you see her? She needs some, you know, senior input. She's in a bit of a crisis. So it's my first time meeting her. Um, she's a woman in her 20s. She has ulcerative colitis, a form of inflammatory bowel disease that causes redness and soreness in the lining of your bowel, causes diarrhea abdominal cramps. It makes it very difficult for people to eat. Okay, Her disease is flaring. She's going to the bathroom 10, 15, 20 times per day. Her whole body's inflamed. She feels miserable. Added to this, she's pregnant, Wendy. She's in her first pregnancy. Added to that during her pregnancy, she has developed gestational diabetes, insulin resistance, declaring itself in pregnancy. So as well as dealing with a flare up of her bowel disease, she's now having to inject herself with insulin and finger prick, prick, like five, six times a day to check her blood sugars, things she's never had to do before. So she comes to see me. She says, "Look, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm in a bad way. What can we do? And I said, well, we can escalate your medication. And when people are in pregnancy, we want to do everything we can to keep them as healthy as possible. That's the key to a successful pregnancy, a healthy baby and a healthy mum. Let's do everything we can to get you healthy so that the rest of your pregnancy goes well. And we talked about that. And I talked about escalating her treatment and starting her on a biologic drug. But then of course, Wendy, she asks me the question, what about food? Is there anything I should be doing with food? and i had a i had a chat with her and i said well look there's a lot of evidence to show that a healthy whole food plant-based or plant predominant diet is the way to go here but understand it's going to be difficult with your current symptoms so maybe make some small changes and we talked about some small changes and we agreed that i would see her again in two weeks that we would hold off on escalating her meds she would take two weeks and then come back and see me And if things weren't a lot better, I had the prescription pad ready to go. We were going to get her started on a biologic drug called infliximab or Remicade. So two weeks later, she comes back to see me, Wendy, and she's got her husband with her. And they're both smiling. And we sit and we chat and say, well, how's it going? And she goes, I'm fantastic. I've made the changes that you suggested, but I've gone further than that because I looked you up. And I've actually completely overhauled my approach to food. I'm now eating an exclusively unprocessed plant-based diet. And not only do I feel better, but I had a normal poop this morning. Hey, that's exciting. (laughs) That's exciting for a gastroenterologist, right? That's right. So a normal poop this morning. And Uh so for the rest of her pregnancy, instead of escalating medication, we were deprescribing. So as and change, she and just
0: think of the epigenetics that are happening mm. there, right like with with her with child and what's going to take on and take root uh, the ripple effect right of just Absolutely. that
1: decision. I mean that's beautiful. but that's not the end of her story. So she goes through her pregnancy, she reduces her medication, disease is very manageable on minimal medication for the duration of her pregnancy. And that was, you know, then I didn't see her. She kind of disappeared from my clinic for about uh, nearly two years, maybe 18 months, two years. And then between then, she was just going to nurse-led clinic. You know, she she was doing well. Nurses doing great work, making sure she was fine. But then I see her again. She Her name pops up at clinic and I invite her in and she walks in. I said, hey, is everything okay? And she goes, oh yeah, everything's fine. In fact, since I saw you 18 months ago, I've been doing great. I've had very few disease flares. The ones I've had have been very mild and easy to manage. I'm back to exercising, I'm back to running. I'm feeling amazing, whole body health, Wendy. But not only that, the reason she was booked in to see me again was because she was pregnant again. And we always like to see our patients during pregnancy as a routine matter, just to check in. Because you know, Mm -hmm. pregnancy can be a difficult time for any long-term illness, right? And so it was a routine appointment this time, not an emergency appointment. And she explains to me that not only has she not had a flare of her condition during this pregnancy, but during this pregnancy, because she'd previously had gestational diabetes in her first pregnancy, she was coming to the, um, the, uh, the obstetric clinic to have her blood sugars checked once a week because they were ready for her to need the insulin again. Because they were ready for her to have gestational diabetes again. It's almost inevitable, we're told, if you've had it during your first pregnancy. And it's almost inevitable that within eight years, you'll have type 2 diabetes, we're told, if you have gestational diabetes. But after a few months, Wendy, they told her she didn't need to come to the clinic anymore because she wasn't showing any signs of the previous insulin resistance. Her blood sugars were absolutely fine. And she avoided having type 2 diabetes during her second pregnancy.
0: So so when you start
1: talking to your patients about fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds and leafy greens and maybe a little bit of fermented food, filling your plate, it's whole body health. And all health really does begin in the gut. Hippocrates nailed it two and a half thousand years ago.
0: Sure did. Sure did. That is a beautiful, uh, testimonial story. And I know you like to stick with studies, but thank you for sharing that, uh, that study or that, um, story because people love stories too. And, uh, they can sometimes see themselves in someone else's, uh, situation.
1: Um, can I, I can I d- give you, can yeah? I give you a counterpoint to that story? Sure. A counterpoint to that story was a story that I heard while I was at the Plantrition Conference with you in, in lovely sunny California uh, with Scott and, and the whole team, okay? So I spoke, the, one of the lovely things about that conference was that we met the whole spectrum. We met doctors and individuals who'd been eating and thriving on a whole food plant-based diet and lifestyle for decades. I met people who had first discovered this through Nathan Pritikin, to John, through mm. John McDougall through Neil Bernard's first book and and on and T. on and Colin on Campbell. They were, yeah and T Colin Campbell and and uh, Dr Esselston and, and Dr M- Dr Gregor and on and on but there was individuals who'd been living this life and thriving for decades and there was also a lot of young people there which I thought was awesome there was a lot of recently qualified, doctors and PAs and registered dietitians and nutritionists and coaches who are there hearing this message very early in their career. And think about all the lives they're going to change, they in the rest of their career. I believe the average doctor will treat maybe 15,000 patients in their lifetime. I mean, yeah. how exciting. To have those doctors there early in their career. But it was from one of those young people that I heard this story. So this was an individual whose mother has inflammatory bowel disease, colitis, ulcerative colitis. And she'd had a bit of a disruption in her digestive health. So with her family history, she'd gone to see her doctor and they said, well, look, your mom's got colitis. You better get a colonoscopy. So she went and had her colonoscopy, it was all clear. No problem. Her symptoms had settled down anyway, so she was very relieved. But the interesting thing is that when she went back to see her gastroenterologist for the follow-up, the gastroenterologist, this is what she told me, said, your colonoscopy is normal. You don't have colitis. But because your mom has it, you'll probably get it. So why don't you come back and see me when you get colitis? Oh, because no. that is that is a missed opportunity an yes. absolutely missed opportunity right now within healthcare we Sit around waiting for people to get sick. To get sick. And right. when they get right. sick, we will offer them surgeries and medications to help them move back towards health. Now, don't get me wrong. I prescribe medications. I refer for surgery. I do endoscopic procedures. I, I absolutely believe in the incredible things that we can achieve with modern medicine, but it's only part of the story because there is a different way. What if people? didn't inevitably get sick? What if most of the cases of heart disease and type 2 diabetes and bowel cancer and diverticular disease and Crohn's disease or any of those other chronic illnesses and cancers that we take for granted in high-income countries? What if they never happened? Now, that's not a controversial proposal because the science is really clear. A healthy diet and lifestyle radically reduces your risk of illness and adds a decade of healthy and productive years to your time on this earth. An average of Mm -hmm. 10 years of healthy and productive life are on offer to everybody listening to or watching this podcast. Can you imagine 10 years? That's the difference, Wendy, between seeing your grandchildren finish grade school and being there when they graduate university, publish their first book, open their first play, uh, you know, open their first art exhibit, it's incredible. And, you know, the it, it, it's so powerful. This the, the, what, what you're promoting and what we're talking about right now is incredibly powerful.
0: It is. And you have written a book called The Plant-Based Diet Revolution, 28 Days to a Happier Gut and Healthier You. And there's so much incredible information in that book. And I really highly recommend everyone listening to get it. But you are um, – I'm just grateful because, honestly – it's becoming more of the norm, whole food plant based. Mm. It's not so like, ooh, you do what? It's not such a secret and so weird and out there. Whether it's whole food plant based or vegan, um, it's it's becoming more of of on the forefront, and people are catching on because they're seeing the um, the the incredible. A residual effect of of taking the discipline seriously in their own life. Mm. And um, and I'm excited about that because I really feel like we're on the cusp of, of a whole different way of seeing society. Um, I, I, I pray and I believe, especially in this day and time. But um, speaking of society in this day and time, I believe I already know what you're going to say. But let's talk a little bit about the gut-brain uh, connection, because I believe a lot of the mental health Situations going on in uh, the world today has a lot to do with the way our gut microbiome is, and, and, that, and the gut of our, and the health of our gut. Do you want to talk on that at all?
1: Oh my goodness! I mean, the gut microbiome. I mean, do I want to talk about this at all? Do I want to talk about? It? Do I want to <laughs> we talk still have about to anything? Leave room.
0: And talk about poop.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do I want to talk about anything else? Is is is, is what you should be asking me. Um, <laughs> so let's just talk a little bit about the one of the. I'll just give you one aspect of the gut brain connection. Okay. Um, so you're everybody listening to this or um, watching right now thinks that they're sitting on their own or with a family member. There's just a couple of people in the room or one person. But the news is, of course, that you are not alone because within your digestive tract, you are carrying tens of trillions of microbes, bacteria, viruses, and archaea. That's as many cells and more genetic material than the rest of your human body put together. Now, for each one of us, Wendy, our microbiome, particularly our gut microbiome, begins to form the moment we're born with that first human touch, that first bread of fresh air, that first sip of breast milk, the microbes in, on this earth, the microbes that populate this planet and actually populated this planet for billions of years before humans even arrived or developed on this planet, those microbes begin to inhabit our little body and begin to populate our digestive system to form our gut microbiome. Now, as a tiny little baby, having these microbes in your gut are, it's absolutely crucial to the development of a healthy GI tract, a healthy immune system, and a healthy body. But even as adults, those bugs that, that reside in our colon predominantly remain key players in human health and have been described as a control center for human biology. And a lot of that control and a lot of interaction is because the bugs that live in our gut produce biologically active compounds, which we refer to as postbiotics. So depending on the sort of food that we're eating, we are feeding certain families of bugs in our gut and they will then break down that food residue and produce certain types of postbiotics. In fact, the gut microbiome has been described as an unlicensed pharmaceutical factory for just that reason. Now, with the brain connection, I'm going to just mention one important postbiotic. And that postbiotic is the uh, short-chain fatty acids. So when you eat a fiber-rich diet, particularly if you eat a plant-based diet, your gut microbiome is optimized for the production of short-chain fatty acids. So butyrate, acetate, propionate. These are substances that are only produced in your colon. They're not made by your human body. You don't eat them. They are made by your gut bugs. Hmm. Now, those those uh, short-chain fatty acids, particularly butyrate, not only do they provide 70% of the energy source for the cells lining your bowel, and not only do they enter your bloodstream and help control your blood sugars and your appetite and reduce chronic inflammation, they also enter your brain. They enter the cerebral spinal fluid, the liquid that your brain that your entire intellect is bathed in every single day. Now, your brain, like like all of your human body depends very, very, um, very critically on maintaining homeostasis, okay? The human body likes to keep its temperature, its pH level, its sugar level within a very tight range for optimal function. And there's probably no part of your body that that's more true for than your brain, your neurons. And for that reason, our brain is protected by a barrier called the blood-brain barrier, the BBB. Okay, And if toxins can cross that blood-brain barrier, they can potentially cause a lot of problems for our neurological health. So for example, Alcohol crosses the blood-brain barrier like that, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is why it causes drowsiness and confusion and poor decision-making and ultimately contributes to dementia and memory problems and Alzheimer's and all that, okay? But so to have a healthy brain-blood barrier is crucial. The butyrate that your gut bugs make when you have oatmeal for breakfast helps to maintain the health and integrity Of your blood-brain barrier, helps to prevent toxins entering your brain, helps to prevent the chronic inflammation in your brain that has been linked to depression, dementia, and other psychological anxiety and all (laughs) of these problems. So that's just one really nice example, I think, of how the food you eat interacts with your gut microbiome, interacts with these postbiotic substances, and directly affects your cognitive health and your mental health on a day-to-day basis, and, and and also into the future.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. Thank you for sharing. Because I think if we, uh, as a society, started to think of every bite that we eat, how is it? Feeding our our body, like how is it affecting our cells? You know, mm-hmm. how is it affecting our brain, our gut? Like, how is it affecting us with every bite that we eat? We might choose differently. And I don't even think that people even think about their gut microbiome ever. They, if they really thought about the bugs that we are, that might kind of even freak them out. But I think people need to get educated and understand how the body works so that they can start fueling their body for what it needs to uh, be optimized. So, you know, once the food goes in, Dr. Desmond, it has to go out. And so I know you love talking about poop. In fact, that's when I first met you, you're like, I'm the poop doctor. I'm like, all right there. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, I have several patients that deal with you know, starting out, they deal with different bowel issues, just like your patients do. But, you know, we're talking, we talk a lot about the the Bristol stool chart and what your poop should look like and kind of give them a a good idea and indication of, of the health of their gut uh, through their, through their bowels. But um, let's talk more of um, maybe, maybe let's, let's just talk layman's terms right like let's mm. talk what does a healthy poop look like and and an unhealthy poop look like i think most people know because they know what it feels like but let's talk about why right
1: well well first of all let's just be clear everybody poops okay yes okay. so we can so, talk about so poop. yeah so, so we can know about poop okay it's perfectly normal I think there's a should be says everybody poops everybody poops we should write that book okay so think of there your is favorite a book. There is oh is there oh really well it's then i should get that book, book. I should get that book. Um, Another good book I can recommend is There's a Zoo in Your Poo by Professor Felicia Jackman. It's for kids, but everyone should read it. It, There's a Zoo in Your Poo. It's my little boy's favorite book. But everybody poops. So think of the most glamorous movie star, the most inspirational rock star, (laughs) the most impressive religious icon, leader, politician. They poop or they pooped. That's good. It, it's That's it, it's good. a normal thing. It's an absolutely normal <laughs> thing. But it's a normal thing. But is there a normal bowel movement? That's the question. So when we try to describe what normal is, we you mentioned it a moment ago, we tend to use the Bristol stool chart. So the Bristol stool chart talks about these different kinds of poop, everything from little rocks to all the way up to these kind of, I think it uses the phrase, firm sausage-shaped to <laughs> liquid and watery mush, okay? Now, it's really important to realize that the Bristol stool chart was designed in Bristol in the UK, which is about 70 miles from where I'm sitting right now. So why is it that we would take the bowel habits of middle-aged British people from about 15 years ago a Eating country,
0: fish
1: and chips, right? Eating <laughs> fish and chips, and you know, you know, egg, eggy chip sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, okay. So Britain's not known for its uh, culinary skills. It, it's improving. You'd be glad to hear. But, but why <coughs> should we take? Why should we take the bowel habits from a country that has some of the highest rates of colon cancer, diabetic disease, gallstones, fatty liver disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis in the world? It makes no sense. That is not the bar. That is not the bar. But if we do look at countries like the UK and the US, we'll find that people will open their bowels between an average of once every three days and and three times per day. 95% of people will be between those two posts, okay? So average would be maybe once a day, but anything from every three days to three times a day would be viewed as normal, okay? Pretty small volume. And in this normal world... Um, about 50% of people would describe that they get constipated, that they feel like they haven't pooped fully, that they ha- they've been to the loo, but they've been to the toilet, but they haven't quite, you know, it's not satisfied. I talk to my patients about satisfaction, you know, they say, yeah, I go, you know, I open my bowels, and say, yeah, but do you feel satisfied afterwards? Do you feel like you're done? Go, nope, I do not feel satisfied. Still, I do not feel done. Still and, trapped and so, in
0: the colon, yeah.
1: Right. But of mm-hmm. course, it's because of the fuel that we're feeding. Our gut microbes and our, and it's also about, uh, you know, less activity, less physical activity with age because we don't have the hip flexors or the pelvic muscle strength that it diminishes. But it's really interesting to me that if you look, and these studies have been done. So, you know, if we look at stool volume, okay, so stool volume. In and if I this paper was done quite a while ago, I think I can remember the numbers. Okay, so the average daily stool volume in Scotland is seventy grams. That's like two and a half ounces. The average volume in London and New York was a hundred grams. A little bit better in Scotland. Okay, the average daily stool volume in rural Costa Rica, when this study was done was 490 grams. Seriously? Okay. So yes, because in r- r- rural Costa Rica, home of the Nicoya Peninsula, home of one of the blue zones, home of some of the healthiest yeah. and most long-lived fiber. people in the world, right? So they're eating a plant-predominant, higher fiber diet. And so as I say to my patients, like if you're not on the Bristol stool chart, don't panic. Because I've been speaking right. to patients about their poop for 20 years, and I don't know if there is a normal anymore, okay? That's number one. And the and the number two is that, you know, if, as you change... <laughs> yeah, you see I should have done there. a
0: drum roll there or something, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> you see what I did there? So the second yeah, item good. on the agenda <laughs> is that when you make the switch to a healthy whole-food plant-based diet, you should expect to see more poop more often. And that's a good thing. But the caveat I would put here for everybody is that if you notice a change in your bowel habit, abdominal pain, blood, slime, change in frequency, new constipation, increased frequency, new diarrhea, if you're concerned about it, please go and talk to your doctor. Go and talk to your family doctor and say, I've noticed a change don't be embarrassed. Look, everybody poops. Even your family practitioner poops. Okay, Everybody does. Don't be embarrassed to talk to your doctor about your gut health. Because even if your doctor knows nothing about the power of a healthy diet and lifestyle, your doctor will be very, very good and very efficient at detecting red flags and figuring out if you need to have blood tests, scans, or endoscopies just to make sure everything is okay. Because as I said, in high-income countries, the rates of many significant and serious digestive health problems is pretty significant, pretty high. And for many of these conditions, early detection is really, really important. That's particularly true for various cancers like colon cancer and stomach cancer. And in addition to that, Wendy, even if you have been totally dialed in, if you've been, you know, if you are one of those original Nathan Pritikin converts, right? And if you're one of those lovely folk that I've met at the Plantrician Conference, it remains true that low risk is not no risk. Low risk mm. is not no risk. So even if you've been been really sensible, you've been doing all the things, if you get new symptoms, go and get checked out. And it, yeah. And I would also add to that, that sometimes people hear that and they go, what I wasted my whole time eating healthy, whole food, plant based, and exercising, eating and healthy, eating I'm healthy, feeling and, great. and, and going for walks in the sunshine <laughs> with my loved ones and hugging my children. It's uh, yeah. I wasted my time doing all of that because now I've developed a cancer. <laughs> but again, the evidence there is very clear that if if you have a healthy diet and lifestyle, and you st- and unfortunately you develop a cancer, well then and any, any, many other chronic diseases too, the evidence is pretty clear that in the vast majority of cases, all of that investment you've made in your health shows up and it shows up for you on your darkest day. Because even with a major illness, for example, like colon cancer, individuals with a healthy diet and lifestyle have a much better prognosis. It keeps paying off. It yeah. keeps paying off and it pays off even more for you on your darkest day. I firmly believe that.
0: That's all right. That's right. That's so good. You mentioned, uh, real quick, you mentioned about you know hip flexors and just being older and maybe not being able to have a, uh, a healthy bowel because of that issue. Uh, what about the squatty potty? Are you a fan of the squatty potty?
1: You know what that is? Huge fan of the squatty potty. Huge fan of the squatty potty. I so, figured you would be. Okay. So, so the <laughs> modern, the modern um, toilet, um, the porcelain throne um, that we have in hangout countries has a lot more to do with Victorian sensibilities than it does to have with human anatomy. In fact, the the um, first um, flush toilet in this part of the world in in Europe w- was designed during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I by her cousin, mm. um, and in fact she was one of the first people to ever have a flush toilet. Um, Queen Elizabeth I. Interesting. Um, he he promised. I think his name's John Harrington, and he in the advertising he said that it would make it would make the your your privy bathroom your privy. Smell as a what is it, as the sweetest lady's chamber. So he'd figured out this way, this big oh, well, controller. Who wouldn't want
0: to buy that? Bu- who would buy, want to buy the marketing? That? Yeah.
1: But it was a long time <laughs> before the modern flush toilet, as we recognize it, be, was, was evolved. And again, it, it's, it's, it's designed, you sit up straight like a gentleman and you do your business. But of course, human anatomy, humans are designed to poop in a squatting position where apes. So, sure. you know, we're supposed to be like in a full squat. That's, that's, that's how the anatomy is arranged. Um, so I'm a big fan of the squatty potty. Um, if no one's tried squatty potty, take the opportunity if you can. It, it'll change your, it'll, you know, it's like uh, online people say, do this one thing and instantly revolutionize your gut health. And I, I resist saying yeah. that about anything. But when it comes to squatty potty, do this one thing it will instantly revolutionize your gut health and if you don't have access to a squatty potty then anybody can do this you just need to put a footstool in front of your regular toilet it needs to be stable and safe it needs to be high enough so that your knees are higher than your belt and then you can lean forward a little bit give your give your knees a little bit of a hug and that will kind of get you into that squat position and you are ready to go
0: things people don't think about, but should. So thank you, Dr. Alan Desmond. This is so great. Um, I am going to wrap up by asking you a a personal faith based question because my audience is more from the Christian faith and it's on a lot of Christian networks. And I promise them to let uh, them know who I am interviewing. So you mentioned that, uh, well, I'm going to just let you, you go with it. So what, what is your faith and have you practiced uh, a faith in your, in your past currently kind of, where are you?
1: So you might have detected that I'm Irish. When you said um,
0: AIDS I kind of thought yes you're. <laughs> yeah. yes.
1: So uh, so uh, so I was so I was raised as an Irish Roman Catholic. Um Catholic. and I'm no longer yeah. I'm, I'm no longer practicing Catholic. I, I'm I'm no longer um visibly practicing my faith. But I have to say I still believe in the basic human principle and the basic ethic of love one another, be kind to people and do no harm. Um, so I think yeah. that's where my faith likes so me now.
0: Yeah, that's so good. So I had to ask, and when you said apes, I'm like, well, maybe I need to see if you're evolutionist or something, you know, or, uh, so anyway, just thought I'd ask because I had Dr. Doug Lyle, do you know, Dr. Doug Lyle?
1: Oh, sure. I've I had met him Doug. on the podcast. Yeah. He's guy. awesome.
0: He's so great. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, you're my first atheist evolutionist on the show. Here we go. So, um, <laughs> but I love it. I love that we can come together and have collective Uh, conversations and share what what you have been um, just an expert in all these years to help my audience. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate you. I appreciate all that you're doing. And um, you guys need to go check out Dr. Alan Desmond on Instagram and, and Facebook and all the things and go to um, alandesmond.com to get his book or go to Amazon. Uh, but one of the things I want to say, too, is thank you. You're also doing these incredible community dinners to help people understand uh, understand the power of the whole food plant-based lifestyle and having um, just uh, an impact in your community as well. I mean, around the globe, but in your community as well. So thank you for being you and being such an uh, inspiration to me.
1: Oh, that's so kind. Likewise, right back at you. I mean it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for being on Visibly Fit. And uh, we will catch you all next time. Same time, same place. Thanks, Dr. Desmond. Take care. Well, I sure hope you enjoyed the show. Wasn't Dr. Desmond fun and just full of information? Oh my goodness. If you didn't learn something from this episode, then we got to talk <laughs> because there was so much information thrown at you and he is just a plethora of, of stats and studies and uh, just insightful information. So again, to check out uh, Dr. Desmond, go to allen.desmond.com. You can also find him on Instagram and other places, uh, Facebook and that kind of thing. But I think he's a little more active on Instagram. But if you have been following this podcast for a while and following me for a while and are at that point, at that pivotal point of I'm ready to change, then let's do this. Let's do this. Go to wendypet.com or go to getvisiblyfit.com and let's get you started on the seven-week Visibly Fit Uh, accelerator program. It is life-changing and you deserve to optimize your health. And I would love to be there alongside of you and hold your hand and walk you through it. So you can do this, we can do it together, but now's your time. So again, go to getvisiblyfit.com and get started today. God bless you. And we will see you next time. Same time, same place right here on Visibly Fit. God bless.